Emerald podcast series. Research that makes a difference. Welcome to the Emerald podcast series. In this series, we speak to experts from around the globe using research to create real impact. In each episode, we explore the role of research within the context of the environmental, economic, social and political challenges facing our society and look at the ways in which research, policy and practice interact to affect communities around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Daniel Ridge. I'm Helen Beddo, and we are publishers at Emerald Publishing. In this episode, we take a look at the Research Excellence Framework. In March 2020, as the UK went into lockdown, the REF team at Research England made the decision to put REF 2021 on hold. This means that the original deadline of 27th of November 2020 will no longer apply. So what does this mean for research? And how is this delay affecting researchers and impact professionals? What are the wider implications of COVID-19 on the funding landscape? We met up in early June with Mark Taylor and Chris Hewson. Mark is the Impact CCF for the National Institute of Health Research, or NIHR, a health and social care research funder. They contribute around £1.3 billion a year to hospitals up and down the country. Chris is the Faculty Impact Manager for the Social Sciences at the University of York. He's responsible for REF Impact, the ESRC Impact Acceleration Account, and also some of the policy coordination and business engagement functions within the social sciences. Since our recording, Research England have announced the revised submission deadline of the 31st of March 2021, so some of the predictions made in this episode have turned out to be correct. We kicked off the conversation talking not just about the technical and administrative aspects of the delay, but the sheer amount of human effort that goes into a REF cycle. I asked Mark what the emotional fallout of the delay might be on staff and faculty. The issue about REF is, is not just a technical issue, but it, it's one of uh, cultural change as, as well. And, and therefore, there's an emotional issue as well. The, the effort uh, that's put in by teams across universities when REF demands such high standards or high standards demanded by the universities themselves, I think it is, is definitely under-discussed. Uh, so any changes um, to REF because of COVID, I, I think, need to be talked about in terms of a cultural lens or an emotional lens as one as a technical one or a, an audit lens, if I can put it that way. And do you think that fed into what motivated REF to delay the latest REF exercise? I, I think it's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not sure that anyone looked at it from that point of view. They certainly looked at the fact that uh, university research was going to change, had to change because of COVID. And that the way that universities were going to run for a short, medium or long time was going to be radically different. And as such, it would be unfair to continue without any change, what is a very high pressured, intense exercise. But uh, I would imagine that, that Chris on the ground would have a, a much sharper view of it. Yeah, I mean, I think what's happened really is at the current juncture, this is more of a pause, isn't it? And I think that they're looking at a a four-month pause, and we carry on, and everything just gets shunted four months. So if if the clock doesn't start again in, in July for a sort of putative 2021 March deadline, then that becomes a delay. And a delay is slightly different from a pause. A pause is just the world freezing and then carrying on again. I think a delay would, would send lots of different messages back to universities about how this might proceed. There may even be another consultation. There may even be a, a splitting of the of the deadlines and the, the various bits of the ref. And I think going back to, to Mark's previous point, the issue here is that universities deal with the ref as a, as a compliance process, 
but also something that can perform a useful function in the background. So whilst people are very happy to pause the compliance bit, the idea that the impact and impact support and how universities manage impact could be delayed or you know, that the, the issue sort of kicked down the line somewhat is a little bit more problematic. For instance, universities might have tied internal funding structures into promoting certain things at certain times to fit into the REF. And you could say that's instrumental, but the REF, in, in, its, in its neutral sense, just provides some arbitrary structure that people can then organise their universities around. So anything beyond this initial pause that turns into a delay could cause sort of slight problems for how universities are, are planning impact activities in sort of 18 months, two years down the line. I sometimes wonder, though, whether, and apologies for the analogy, because it, it might sound odd at first, whether an uh, analogy here is is postponing the Tokyo Olympics or the Premiership Football League, that in the downtime, people unwind. And the ref exercise, uh, whether it's a compliant exercise or something which is used more internally, requires uh, a lot of, of effort across departments where teams build up their uh, expertise, their energy, and all of a sudden now it is paused. And whether you can restart just like that, click of a finger after four months, or whether there are going to be some issues about getting that energy back into the system. Um, I, I'm really quite intrigued to see how how universities will cope with that. Because as I said, I think there's, there's an emotional angle to this as well as just technical. And what are institutions doing during this pause? Chris, perhaps that's a question for you. Um, I, I think they are literally just pausing a lot of them. I mean, the, pr- the problem here is you've got the ref is three different things. It's, it's outputs, it's environment, it's impact. So outputs, the, there's no push at the moment to change any, the cutoff dates for outputs. It's, it's just a way that universities have to go around trying to sift what the best research is, and then you, you submit it and you, you, you strategize around it and work out where it fits. And that, a lot of that can be happening anyway. Environment's always a bit like the student essay. It's something that always tends to get sort of done a little bit at the last minute. And in a sense, you have to, because any, any, any work you put in ahead of time tends to get changed right up until the census point anyway, which is a cutoff point for all the data you need to submit. Impact is the, is the tricky one because there are opportunities to benefit from any delay and universities would be foolish if they weren't thinking in those terms. There's always a case study that's you know, slightly undercooked and actually if they did move the evidencing dates back slightly, they, that they could be viable case studies. So universities are weighing up all these scenarios. The wild card in all this, of course, is you, you can never strategize around how much money you're going to get because that amount of money changes. And part of the issue around a minor delay turning, turning into a more serious delay is, you know, once you go beyond three or four months, that timetable for the money being doled out at the beginning of the UKRI's next financial year changes. So there are certain universities who are more worried about that than, than others. Maybe universities didn't do so well in 2014 and don't want the 2014 formula to carry on for an extra year. So... There are lots of different conversations going with institutions. You'll find that different bits of the institution have different different views on this. I, I thought it was quite interesting when, when, when the survey went round. And actually what the survey does is it tends to filter the views of various stakeholders in the university to the office that's managing the REF for the university back to the REF team at, at UKRI. And my sense is the feedback they're getting there will be very different from just asking rank-and-file university staff, academics, professional services what their views are. So even the process of collecting information, trying to work out what the next step should be, 
creates its own sort of strange dynamic, which might not necessarily be representative of the sector as a whole. So I think it's an extremely good point that, that by definition, all the, the exercises so far, that the, um, the consultation exercises or, or the recent questionnaire, by definition, has its own inbuilt filter at every institution. And a university is not, it's going to sound odd, a single organisation in that sense. Each faculty, each department will have different views uh, that will then get filtered into a, a single view of that institution half the time. And I think that is problematic when trying to work out what the effect of RFREF actually will be. And I think the funding model, as Chris says, is going to be difficult to work out in, in the future. I think it, it's, it's well known that... Um, Research-intensive universities have relied an awful lot on international students, international student fees to bolster the research they do, taking into account that most funders don't pay full overheads. So if you have um, a funding model based on the 2014 REF at the same time as international student fees going down with no further overheads, there could be a, a vicious circle brewing here, which I think would be bad for everyone. So how can REF ensure that some institutions don't gain unfair advantage or some institutions don't suffer under these kind of different funding structures? Ooh, I mean, the, the answer there is they they, they can't really. Yeah. I mean, there are cert- certain things they can mitigate. You know, I, th- I think the exceptional circumstances process will have to be revamped whenever the ref restarts anyway one point which i think has been talked about a little bit on on social media and it could it could explode if people aren't careful is the sense of moving the census date because if anybody doesn't know the amount of staff you submit to the ref that works out your 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 formula and amount of papers you submit is related to the amount of staff in that unit of assessment on the census date the 31st of july there's a view that universities won't look to restructure even though they can see a, a massive deficit in the future, maybe they've got an issue with recruiting tier four students, as, as Mark said, or, or even home students, but they won't look to sort of start making people redundant or, or moving people around until the 1st of August. If you then go and move that, that date, it puts the, the date further forward that universities will have to make those decisions. So actually, may, maybe the answer is to move that date and call universities bluff on some of this, because some of those decisions will have to be made anyway once it's very clear what the student intake is going to be. How likely do you think it is that they will move it? Um, I, I suspect they won't. I suspect at the, very, at the very most they might move the census date for um, impact and, and keep the other, the other dates the, the same, mainly because, particularly with the environment statement, it would play havoc on, on how, the, how these things were, were being planned and worked out by universities anyway. And it would seem slightly unfair. Once you start moving census dates, you then start having to move, you know, people can start writing more stuff. But are people writing stuff? Well, you know, certain people are writing more stuff in lockdown. And I can guarantee there'll be uh, quality and diversity issues attached to to who can be writing things at this point as well. Um, So I don't think you want to be opening that kind of worms. And I think think the sector is very, very well aware of, of, of some of the issues that could crop up, to be honest. So as we're working for a funder, Mark, do you want to speak about the impact of the delay in COVID-19 more generally on funding? Well, as I said, the our funding, NIHR funding, is, is separate to the funding that's doled out based on the, the REF process. So the, the effect for us is, is, is difficult to actually sit down and, and um, work out at this particular time. I think the issue with REF for every other funder is that the fact that it is a massive cultural change program in some ways. And it affects how universities think about impact because it's the major impact assessment exercise every number of years. So uh, 
there is a concern, I guess, that's perhaps too strong a word. If the delay is continued, if it's longer than what's already been discussed, it means that people's focus, everything is on pause for ref. We are waiting for Godot. We are waiting for ref. And uh, it makes it harder for other funders to, to gain traction in the conversations they have with uh, universities about the impact assessment exercises or work they may want to do. And NHR at the moment are engaged in a large exercise creating a value framework, a framework that will help explain the impact of NHR funding. And uh, there will be a level, uh, a large amount of external stakeholder engagement with uh, including universities up and down the country. And that's going to be very important and hopefully very powerful. But if universities up and down the country are saying, yeah, that's fine, but uh, we've got to, ref's next, we've got to wait for ref. ref, ref we need to get ref through ref first. And if that continues, then that affects our work in that particular way. So as I said, we're not directly uh, affected, but we have always been indirectly affected by ref, which is why we have always submitted every time there has been a, um, a consultation exercise as our view of what ref might look like. Um, our view of how REF might move forward, because I think it, as another funder by definition has said, we are indirectly affected. And I would suggest that any major funder, uh, whether NIHR, Wellcome Trust, any of the Association of Medical Research Charities would feel similar. This sort of cuts both ways as well, doesn't it? Because NIHR, MRC, Wellcome, they are going to be looking to how best to use the funding they have to support COVID-19 related research and all the other bits of research that aren't directly related to COVID-19, but, but emerge from it. It's the same people within that space who are the people submitted to um, panel A in the REF. Yeah. And it's also the same people in that space who the people who are submitted to panel A in the REF have to get to provide evidence for their case studies in panel A in the REF. So the effects of panel A are going to be slightly different from the effects of panels B, C and D. I've had conversations with people. There's been sort of mootings on the grapevine that there are people in panel A that want this, the whole thing shelved for a year, which, you know, on some level would be reasonable. But then do you have the question of, okay, there's other people ready to go. Some people aren't. Do you, do you start splitting main panels off and, and sequence them in a slightly different way? I, I think that's possibly un, not feasible. Then once you start delaying a little bit longer, the question comes in of, well, you need to start including some of the impacts emerging from COVID re research. Otherwise, mm. they're going to be emerging in REF 2027. Yeah. You know, we, we, might, we might be worried about, you know, alien invasion by 2027 <laughs> and co COVID, COVID might, might be something way in the past. But th th there's a worry, but then you start bolting that on to a REF process that doesn't include COVID-19. What does that mean? Does that mean that universities who happily have lots of biomedical researchers suddenly start doing better out of the REF? Because in a sense, they deserve to because they're doing this useful research. But what does that mean in terms of some of the overall league tables and how people use and abuse league tables? So, I mean, my, my personal view is you have to look at the impacts of some of the some of the research around COVID, even the really early stuff. But you have to sort of firewall it off from the main part of the ref somehow. Maybe have a section of the environment template or something like that. That must also be a consideration for you in social sciences because there's a lot of things that social sciences can speak to in research around COVID-19 from a social sciences perspective that's, that could also be quite impactful. Yeah, and, and, and the, the, issue, the issue there is that, I mean, some of those projects have already started. The SRC have given yeah. various bits of um, urgency grant money out. There's impact accelerators have been giving money out at various institutions on projects related to COVID-19. Like anything else, I mean, it's, it's similar to, to GCRF a few years ago. There'll always be 
people who are desperately trying to retrofit their research around it, whilst at the same time there are people with very little time and capability who actually want to be engaging in this this agenda a little bit more. So, you know, the, the problem you have with a, with a ref submission is, you know, you've got a bunch of people who are, t- who are taken away when, when you need them around to write cases and, and work on cases. You've got people who had lots of things planned right to the deadline, you know, not, not packing them in or rushing, but planned right to the deadline, who suddenly can't do a whole bunch of stuff between March and July. A lot of those will be in panel D, arts and humanities. Yeah, I was say the impact on panel D with the theatre closures. Uh, so. Yeah, as, as much as anything else. And then you've got lots of people in between, some of whom have more capacity than they had before and some of whom have a lot, lot less capacity in terms of both research and their personal circumstances. So it is, it is a bit of a mess and it is going to affect some, if you aggregate this out, it will affect some institutions more than others because it's, it's bound to. The, these things are, yeah. are always fundamentally unfair. But I think it's a little bit like the, que- the questions around sort of starting the football season again. Whatever you do, whenever you start this, the rules have changed. Yeah. Yeah. So you can argue it's not a, it's not a level playing field. That's, that's fine, but the rules will have slightly changed and it won't be fair. Uh, luckily, the ref doesn't have um, promotion and relegation like, uh, like the Premier League. <laughs> so, so, so the question might be, are there ways of levelling some of this out, smoothing some of this out in terms of how the money is distributed? Because if you remember, remember last time, university didn't really know, A, how much money was distri- going to be distributed and what the, the mechanisms for distribution were, particularly around the differences between four-star and three-star research. So you could do scenario planning around that. Yeah. So those questions still haven't been answered. So, so you know, may, maybe you could sort of give slightly less for four-star, recognising that three-star is good and people won't have done things. I don't know, but there are probably ways of post-hoc ironing some of this stuff out with the, uh, the allocation mechanism. It might be that REF is, is not the me- best mechanism to smooth things out. Um, and actually, we might be asking too much of, of the REF structure to do so. We, we already know there are going to be shortfalls in the system because of COVID-19. You know, we've, we've already talked about the, the drop in international student fees, the issue with, with, with overheads overall. There's a, a debate, I think, going on about reducing or making it more difficult for students in England to go to universities in Wales and Scotland, yeah. which has caused a bit of an uproar. Using REF to sort all of that, I, I don't think is probably the best mechanism. REF should do what REF does, and the government should find ways of patching the wrong word, but making things good elsewhere through other funding mechanisms. Uh, otherwise, um, because REF Ref is not for Christmas; it's for life. There will be another ref exercise at some stage. If we if we unbalance this one by building on top of it to take into account unique circumstances, which hopefully by the time of the next next ref exercise won't exist anymore, then we put an instability in the system for years to come. So, uh, as far as possible, ref should be ref, and other funding mechanisms should take into account those shortfalls that, that Chris has so eloquently described because they are there; they're going to be painful. And we need to be careful that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot here by funding in a way that rewards a short-term imperative but doesn't take into account long-term talent and long-term expertise. I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with Mark there. I mean, one thing you've got to remember, universities have been planning for the REF for several years. There's, there's not a lot you can do in terms of changing the, the environment of your departments or producing much more new research. So a lot of this is, is scraping around at the edges. There are not going to be universities whose whose ref submission is suddenly hold below the waterline because of because of COVID nineteen. It might be the case where it's all hands to the deck to use another nautical term just to get the actual submission yeah. in. 
which is a different question around 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 staffing capability. And, and Mark's entirely right. There are other ways. I mean, there's different ways of allocating QR money. You know, there was QR policy related money that, that came through last year. And I'm not quite sure how they they calculated that per institution. But some of these some of these are of course linked to to, to HIFE as well, rather than being linked to the REF formula. So there are there are different ways that universities are going to do this, and, gonna, and you know it's, it's going to have to happen because there's all this R and D money that's allegedly going to be pumped into the system. And, and I think just just linking that to REF would be foolish, and, and you know it wouldn't be the way to go. Do you think then? Um... As COVID-19 goes on and affects this current ref cycle, what kind of lessons do we need to take from it about evolving and, and, and what kind of lessons do you think ref can take to adapt into the next cycle? What a great question. I, I, I'm not quite sure. The problem with lessons learned is that they, they tend to be the immediate reaction rather than someone looking back um, in a few months' time about what really we should be doing and, and what has been learned. And I, I'll keep going back to the fact this is more than just... Um, an audit system, the, the effect on universities in a normal year of REF is, is it's a hard thing to do, in my view. I'm, I'm always in awe of people who undertake and support REF within universities because I think it's an exceptionally difficult job. Uh, there may be lessons about lightening the load, so to speak, but even then I'm not quite sure what that, that means in reality. There's, there's always been talk about trying to make this much more of a, a toolkit or dashboard exercise mm. where you hit a button and numbers come up. Um, and I would hope that's not a lesson that comes out of this because I think that's mislearning. I think one of the, the positives about REF from my point of view is, is the impact case studies. They, they have been incredibly useful. I've taken them from 2014 and, and worked on some of them as, as uh, because you can see how NIHR have funded some of that work because it's declared in those impact case studies. So I would hope that what doesn't happen um, is that REF changes to become a numerical audit, put, hit a button and, and get a spreadsheet response, which I know, as I said, has been discussed before. Let's not lose the case studies um, in any way we move forward. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's clear to me that what this situation has really shown is how potentially fragile the ecosystems of universities are and how interlinked everything is. So as you were talking about the number of international students potentially affecting the, the relationship between REF and the international students between funding bodies like NIHR. It, it is an ecosystem. And when you shake one bit, effects occur elsewhere within the beast. And I think that, that this is what I mean about REF is an exercise that needs to go forward, needs to be complete. But how we move forward is a much bigger question that includes but is outside of REF. Um, I, no one really knows how we're going to recover from, from COVID, when a vaccine, if a vaccine comes, yeah. whether there are therapeutics if a vaccine doesn't come. Uh, whether the vaccine mutates, blah, 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 blah. It, it looks like it's going to be a couple of years before things get back to, to vaguely normal. We already know at the moment that certain researchers had to pause because you can't do face-to-face -face work. So yeah. my understanding is ethics committees up and down universities, up and down the country, are not issuing ethical approval for some research, not because it's wrong or bad, but at the moment it is just not possible to do which may have a knock-on effect for ref the, the next ref in six or seven years' time. All those things need to work through. So ref is important, but there's an underlying set of issues that need to be discussed, debated, and solved, which uh, I would hope our government is is beginning to discuss with universities um, up and down the country as we speak through this podcast. Do you think that ref can uh, 
he's actually able to give a realistic submission date right now. I mean, with with things carrying on for the next couple of years and social distancing, working from home, can the ref submission process actually start? Well, this, this, is, a, this is a point we, we didn't make before, actually. You know, we've talked about the university's process and how that gets sort of stymied by, by some of these issues. But of course, ref panels need to meet and they've traditionally met physically and, you know, hammered, you know, been sequestered away and hammered issues out in a, in a small room for, for several days. That might not be able to happen for, for quite a while. And also, I think you, you'll find people pulling out of um, panel membership as well and, yeah. and be needing to be replaced, which w- would cause an issue. So, so, so the, wi- the wider question and it's one that I don't probably think anybody's really in the mood to answer, is is doing something like this every seven years all at once really an optimal model anyway? Mm. I mean, as, as we said before, the, there is no necessary relationship. You, you may write an environment, environment statement in a certain way, but there's no necessary relationship to the impact case studies you submit that, you know, lest you remind everybody, the university decides which case studies make it look the best. So there's nothing particularly representative around some of this stuff. And I, and I think one of the sort of dirty secrets about impact case studies is sometimes a strong impact case study might not necessarily represent research or a group of researchers who are central mm. to how that unit of assessment operates. <laughs> so there, there are certain issues that they need playing out there. And, and as, as sort of Mark says, the, these things are very useful for seeing how funding has been used and the impact of funding even many, many years down, down, down the line. But it's also it's not a very scientific way of working that out. And part of me, my own mind, wonders if UKRI decides it wants to look at the impact of individual investments in slightly more detail. That's going to have an effect on how the REF decides impact work in the future because you just start putting too much burden on institutions. Because mm. the one thing we found you know, that the burden from the funding council has gone down in proportion to the, the burden of the REF going up by and large. It will be in, so it will be interesting to see whether the funding councils get the information that they they want from this round because there were a few questions and there was lots of sort of very strange reports saying well for you know you get one ref staff every five hundred pounds spent by the British Academy but it would cost you you know seventy five thousand pounds the BBF <laughs> SRC for every ref you know it, ridiculous stuff simply because people weren't mentioning grants that were linked to to impact cases. It does raise a very good question about why people undertake these sort of exercises in the first place. And on the impact side, outside of REF, you tend to do impact assessment because uh, you're accountable to somebody and you want to show um, that you're doing the right things. You do it because of advocacy. So medical research charities do impact assessments because they want to tell people who donate, uh, we're worth donating to, give us some, give us some cash. The analysis um, angle, what works and what doesn't, uh, through an impact assessment, but then allocation. Through an impact assessment, we work out where we put the money. Now, REF is a great big allocation exercise in that sense. Whether this is a time during the pause to actually think in terms of, well, are we doing this just for allocation? Uh, should we be looking at impact assessment in a broader ecosystem sense, uh, looking at the uh, analysis angle of uh, what works in research? I, I don't know, but it, but you know the problem with breath being so big is that um, it's that oil tanker analogy. Sorry, I, I use analogies far too often. But it's it's got a direction of travel. I, I'm not quite sure it can change um, even within the next seven years radically because you know it, it's going in a certain direction. It, it's it's we we just need to accept it. But I still think it, it, this is a decent time to have a, a debate and a conversation about uh, what what is ref for overall. Yeah, because. 
you under, I mean, funders often ask for case studies, but you understand why they're doing that because they want to show the value of their research and it, it, it links the research impact and communications angles. The REF is not a very good mechanism for showing what the inputs are, how they operate in universities, and then what the outputs are. You've got a sense of what the inputs are, and you've got a sense of what the outputs are. The middle bit, mm, it's a little bit opaque. And, and obviously, there's, also, there's all, all manner of gaming that sort of goes, goes on around that as well. The, que- the question is then, could you move to a situation where you, in effect, had a permanent ref, and there was something submitted on a yearly basis? I, I just the, the issue there is, is and you use the term, it's, it's perfectly correct term to use, is it becomes gameable. Any form of audit or impact assessment or review eventually becomes gameable. And that's just human nature. Uh, there's not much you can do about that unless you change the criteria on a regular basis, which means you remove the gaming nature of it. But by definition, you can't track back over 10, 20 years because you keep changing the criteria. So you're in this sort of like rather bizarre game where you can't sort of win either side in that sense. There has to be a mechanism by definition in, in how we allocate money. This is a huge amount of, of cash, billions of pounds. Uh, and, and ref is the way that we choose to do it at the moment. Uh, some more thought about how it affects the ecosystem and whether we're necessarily asking all the right question or whether, as Chris, as you say, we try and change it. So it's still ref, but not as we know it. I, I think these are decent debates to have. I and mean, from my point of view, I've always wondered whether, why does everyone have to do it at the same time? So rather than do it over a seven year cycle or it becomes some form of yearly thing that you put into, is it possible to do this where you randomly choose 15 universities and you uh, you have a, a really deep dive into those 15 and the next year you do another 15? So it's yearly, but not everyone does it yearly. Would that come up with better and more interesting information? And would it prevent people gaming the system? Well, possibly. I, I don't know whether it, it, it's... I mean, what it perhaps doesn't help is that allocation tends to be on a, a set budgetary cycle and therefore mm. that doesn't work in that way. But as a sort of impact purist, terrible term, it just might be more interesting, might be more interesting for the people involved, might be more interesting for the information you get. It just might be a better way of doing it. But we are where we are. It's the system. Uh, Ref, Kef and Tef, they are uh, the games um, and, and that's what needs to be done. So do you think that this deadline should be extended or not? Do you think that the pause should become a delay or do you think that they should stick to the four-month delay window? It's difficult to say. I, I, my personal view is they should submit outputs and environment in March and move um, impact further down the line. Mm. Whether, whether they will do that, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's enough evidence to suggest that certain bits of the submission will be unduly affected if, if we go for a, a, a March deadline and keep the, the, the July cutoff date for, for impact. You know, you could potentially keep the March deadline and move the cutoff date for impact anyway and still and still have the same March 2021 deadline. The problem, as we touched on before, is you, you've got two things going with universities. You've got there's a certain sunk cost fallacy around a lot of activity. People want to do things in a certain way because that's what they put their effort into. And also a lot of people, they're not taking a strategic view. They just want it done as quickly as is humanly possible and out of the way so they can think about other things. And that might, to be fair, that might actually be the right, the right approach to all this, but it might not be the right approach to all of the ref. So I think there's probably a lot a lot to play out. A lot, I think a lot will happen when they work out the panel A membership and whether those people are still committed to being in the, the main panel and, and sub panels because if people start dropping out left right and center 
it will it will take the rest of the ref with it i think yeah i think that's a fair point yeah well i think that that is a good place to round it up so i'd like to thank you both very much for coming on and i think that was a really interesting discussion thanks for having me that was absolutely fascinating uh chris good to talk to you look forward to seeing you soon after the lockdown thanks mark that was a, an excellent conversation i think time will probably tell on uh, how accurate some of our prognostications were thank you both for a fascinating chat thank you thank you Next week, we speak to Dr. Paul Ian Campbell from the University of Leicester about his research into experiences of ex-professional black footballers transitioning from sports to mainstream careers.